Well, if you have a Bible, I want you to turn with me to 1 Samuel chapter 30, Bible or device, and just leave it open there for a while. I have a particular uh, message on my heart today. I want to talk about overcoming discouragement, overcoming discouragement. Uh, If you are past two years old, uh, you've had seasons of discouragement in your life. And if you've never had a season of discouragement, you are a liar, and uh, you have poor, poor self-awareness. Yeah, that might be a blessing sometimes, I don't know. But uh, before we get started, let's pray together. Holy Father, we thank you for your goodness and grace, and thank you for your mercy. Thank you for what you've done for us. Thank you, oh God, for this church. I, Lord, I just bless your name as I look out here every Sunday and see faithful men and women of God who love you, love the work here. Uh, Apart from them, Father, we wouldn't be able to do what we do here. Those who are serving you, God, we just thank you. Thank you, Father God, for uh, the men and women who have laid down their lives in service to our country. Thank you, O God. I just pray today that uh, their loved ones will feel a sense of um, validation and appreciation and value, Father. Uh, May they know that that these lives were not given in vain. And Father, I pray that you will afflict our nation, O God, with a sense of humble gratitude for those, uh, no matter what side of the aisle that they're on, but for those who are giving leadership to us, but also, Father, for those who are giving up their lives to protect us. So, Father, we pray that you'll speak to our hearts today. God, I, I, I pray for that person that's listening right now who's in the middle of discouragement. Uh, things have not worked out, and fear has struck their hearts, and there's this cloud and gloom over them. God, will you break through today? Will you give us hope, help, and direction, and help us, we pray, Lord, to hold on to you, not some little false sense of motivational statements and all these things, but, Lord, real, holy, God-centered, soul-enriching encouragement. Thank you for what you will do in Jesus' name. Amen. Again, I raised the rhetorical question, have you ever been discouraged? We all have been. But let me just back up just a little bit. Uh, we've uh, it's been a couple of weeks since we've been in our series on David, titled the series, David, A Passion for God's Heart. And David was called a man after God's own heart, not because he did things perfectly. And here in a little bit, we're going to talk about a major oops he had. Um, it certainly wasn't that. But David responded to God. And we see his heart. We see his life. And, and part of the emphasis in this in this series is that we too would capture that heart and that we won't be incremental in our response to God. You know what I mean by that? That we won't a la carte and control the response, but that we'll be all in, uh, realizing that life, life is short. The last message that I gave was entitled The Dark Side of Favor. That was, that was the message where it was the tipping point in David's relationship with Saul. Um, After David killed Goliath, God used him to slay Goliath. Um, It became very problematic because these women, they they sang a song, they composed a song that said, uh, Saul has killed his thousand, David has killed his ten thousand, and that wasn't a good thing for David or Saul. Saul uh, got ticked at that point, and uh, he became unglued. That's not hyperbole. I really believe that Saul lost his ever-loving mind. And uh, 
jealousy and envy and all of that. He throws spears at David twice, and I think by this point, David says, ah, it might be a good idea for me to leave. And so David has to run. He's running from Saul for 16 years. We come to this text in 1 Samuel chapter 30. Um, I don't know the specific chronology exactly where this takes place, but it is safe to say that this takes place probably near the end of that wilderness wandering. Because by this time, David has amassed a very significant army of followers. He's behind enemy territory. Uh, He's in Philistine territory, probably using that as cover to protect himself from Saul, who's still coming after him to kill him. It probably takes place maybe, I don't know, year 12, 13, 14 of of, of his exile. And David is a very powerful man at this point. Before I get too much into the story, let me just set it up this way. We've all been discouraged. We've all been discouraged. But what specifically is discouragement? What is it? I I, I think in its simplest form, fundamentally, discouragement is a loss of perspective. It's the loss of perspective. Or to put it this way, you know, I actually don't think that there can be discouragement if there is not fear. Where there's discouragement, there is fear. Something has not worked out. Something anticipated, something hoped for, something expected has not necessarily worked out. Now, let me, let me just back up a little bit and say that there's a relationship between the three words, disappointment, discouragement, and, dis- and, and depression. They're not the same thing. You know, we all have disappointments. We have disappointments every day. It doesn't necessarily mean that you're discouraged. It's just you're just disappointed. You, this didn't work out. That didn't work out. Okay. And, and disappointment is a healthy thing. It's a part of life. But you got to be careful now. The, the accumulation of disappointments can, can suggest a pattern to you that might push you toward discouragement. And the very word means that the courage is taken out of you. Well, you've been worn down by disappointments or the unanticipated or stuff is, or as, in, as in this case, a major blow hits you that so rocks your world, all the courage is gone and you're fearful. Now, depression is, 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 is a form of discouragement that has become entrenched. In fact, someone put it this way, someone, and I like this definition, that really depression, depression is anger turned inward. It is not just being fearful of what is happening. It is not just experiencing the downside of it. But by this point, you so internalize stuff, and you're so angry about what has taken place and so hurt over it that that, that actually there's this self-blame in your belief, the hope line. You're plummeted there. But that's that's above my pay grade. Not going to talk about depression today, but I am going to talk about discouragement. Discouragement. Now, before we get into the text, we need to frame this in terms of where, where, what our address is all about. And in other words, you know, uh, how does discouragement affect us? Discouragement is a very serious problem. It's very serious. And I think we, you know, we sort of normalize it. Everybody gets discouraged every once in a while. And that's true. That's true. But don't deal with discouragement lightly. Discouragement can affect us profoundly. And I I just want to click off five things that came across my mind 
through my own experience and watching other people and the body language and what happens with folks that you're around who are discouraged, you got to be careful with this thing. Uh, I think discouragement, number one, drains us of joy and faith. Just drains us of joy and faith. That's what discouragement does. It just pulls a plug out of you. You're fearful. This has happened. Maybe you, you anticipate and you say, well, why does this stuff all... And, and you say, yeah, I, I'm not, you know, I'm not believing anymore. And you, even your body language tells that, that's uh, so joyful anymore. I think secondly, discouragement lowers our expectations. Why? Because there's self-protection involved. I, I believed that. I, I, I hoped for that. I, I worked hard on that. I, I thought that this was going to take place. I knew that this was going to happen, and it didn't happen. Doggone it, not only did it not happen, it just, that stuff just hounds me. It never works out for me. So what do I do? I, I sort of like pull it in, pull it back. I'm not going to dream anymore. I'm not going to put it out there. Anymore. Every time I put myself out there, I get bam, bam. No, I'm not doing that. So we end up reducing and lowering our expectations to protect ourselves. I think thirdly, it pulls us toward isolation. This discursion just pulls us back from people, pulls us back from relationships, pulls us back from these things. And you, you just want to be by yourself. You find yourself, you don't want to hang out with anybody anymore. You want to go there. You know, you got to be careful because then you're, you're heading down toward this, this path called depression here. You don't want to interact anymore. Because actually, you're kind of ticked off. You're mad. You're disappointed. You're angry. And actually, you don't want too much comfort at this point. You sort of like, in a perverse sense, where you are. We're not careful. Discouragement also feeds dark, negative outlook, a dark, negative outlook. You know, you, 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 you hoped and 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 you say something. Mm-mm. You know, I, I probably shouldn't say this as a pastor, but I, I have, I got to be careful. I don't, I, I can't be around negative people too long. I just, I just, it, it drives me nuts, okay? That's, I just, that, you know, uh, but that, I'm just being transparent with you. Uh, th- that, that stuff, but I, what I've learned, what I've learned is, you know, folks who tend to, tend to have a dark negative outlook actually have probably been hurt before. There's a reason for that. There's a reason why uh, they're dark and negative. Um, there, there's some fear stuff there, uh, and they're, they're, afraid, they're, they're afraid to be positive. So what they do, they keep pulling things back, which leads to the, the fifth one, is that, you know, discouragement, if we're not careful, sets us up for cynicism. Sets us up for cynicism. We, we, we can get cynical. Why? Because it hasn't worked. And so as a result, we, we, you know, we tend to be hypercritical, Critical situation, seeing it down. Oh no, that yeah. I, but if you really knew the truth about that, now that looks better than it really is. No, I, you know, he's not. He's not really all. Well, you know, that this situation is not really. Good. Oh, you know, I don't think that really. Can, I, before you know, it, you're just like everything is like no, nothing positive or very few things positive are sustainable. Because I can't let this stuff rise above my demeanor. 
And you got to be careful with discouragement because this, this kind of dark stuff is contagious. It really is. I don't know what it is about human nature. This old boy's been around a lot, been around a lot of teens. One of the things I found out, um, actually, actually, the negative multiplies itself more than the positive. There's this thing about human nature. And we're drawn to the critical. We're naturally drawn to the south side of things. And discouragement can really dampen the environment around you. Now, now we come to our text. This is a very important passage, and I, I'm not going to do it justice today. I, I want us to go home and really, really marinate in 1 Samuel chapter 30. Because this, this is a passage that arguably is the lowest point in David's life. I would suggest, obviously, his sin with Bathsheba and that, that time in which his son Absalom is coming to kill him is lower than this. I don't know if it's much lower, though. Up until this point, I think this is the lowest point in his life. You know, um, David and his men are thrown into the depths of discouragement. And yet, ironically, this whole story tells us how to overcome discouragement. I bless God for this story being here in the text. And again, the scene is that David is a very powerful man in the wilderness. God's favor has been on him. Even though he's been chased by Saul uh, for up until this point, what, 12, 13, 14 years maybe? He's amassed this incredible army. Uh, they are with him. And by the way, these dudes that joined David were not exactly model citizens. These, these, these dudes were outcasts. They were criminals. They were, they, were, they, were, they, were, they were some bad actors, okay? And yet they were profoundly loyal to David. They're in this, this stronghold, this city called Ziglag. Now, let me, let, me, let me give you the progression of the story itself. Actually, th this outline, this story is a crescendo. It begins at the lowest point, and it ends at a high point. So I'll give, I'll give this three-point outline in an ascending order. It begins, number one, with devastation. That's here. Then it moves to determination. That's here. And then it moves to deliverance. That's here. And that's how we have to walk through our discouragement. There's devastation, there's determination, and then there is deliverance, but not, it's always in that order. You don't go from devastation to deliverance. There's some things that need to be done. First of all, there's devastation. That's verses 1 through the first part of verse 6. I want to read the first few verses here. David and his men, his army, this kind of thing, has been doing, they've been doing these raids on the Amalekites. These raids on other people. Now, here they are, they come back home after having been gone and fighting for a long time. Verse 1 says, Now when David and his men came to Ziklag on the third day, the Amalekites had made a raid against the Negev and against Ziklag. They had overcome Ziklag and burned it with fire and taken captive the women and all who were in it, both small and great. They killed no one, but carried them off and went their way. And when David and his men came to the city, they found it burned with fire and their wives and sons and daughters taken captive. Then David and all the people who were with him raised their voices and wept. You got you to you feel this. Here you have, they're coming back. They've, they've, they've been gone for a while. 
All their family and everybody's there in Ziklag. And they come back. And they get to the city. They're on their camels or horses. And all they see is smoke. They hear no sound of children. They, 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 they don't hear any, any, any sound of the, of the livestock. Where is everybody? Let me back up a little bit here. Ziklag, Ziklag was a stronghold that had been given uh, uh, to, to David by, by the king of Gath, which was under Philistine uh, control. And it had been given there to David for, for his men to live there. By this time, again, he's been running for a number of years. He had amassed this army. They, you know, it was like it was too many of them dudes to be living in caves, so they needed a place to stay. And Ziklag became their stronghold. It was protected. And David and his men and their families had lived in Ziklag for, at this time, if my chronology is right, about 16 months. And the attack on Ziklag was probably in retaliation of David's raids on, and his men's raids on, on the Amalekites. And so while they're out doing other stuff, the Amalekites says, paydays, come here, buddy. And so we're going to do this to you. But this is a picture of great loss. So again, they're there. And you, you got to sense this. You got to feel this. They're, they're there and there's nobody there. What's going on? And I can imagine his men are crying out there, calling for their wives, Sarah, Deborah, Mary. David's from saying, Where's my kids? Little David, what, what's, where are they? What's up? Great loss. Been taken from them. This, this wasn't supposed to happen. This great loss obviously triggers great pain. Notice the description here. Again, verse, verse 4 says, Then David and the people who were with him raised their voices and wept until they had no more strength to weep. David's two wives had also had been taken captive by Ahinoam of Jezreel and Abigail the um, uh, the widow of Nabal of Carmel. Everything's gone. But the text says they wept until they could not weep anymore. I, this is a picture of those who have come to the end of the line. All hope is gone. And, and, and again, you, you, you got to understand this. These dudes were outcasts. And David picked them up, and they joined David. He was their hope, and he was their future. They were all in with him. And David, too, he, he's going through excruciating pain. It's almost as if he said, oh, what, what's up with this? I, I, you know, I didn't do anything. I did what God called me to do. I've been faithful. I didn't kill Saul. I didn't do anything. This dude is out to kill me. I'm out here now. 
I'm in charge of these dudes here. They're, they're, they're looking at me for leadership. I come, we come back here, everything's gone. God, what are you doing to me? What are you doing to me? I would have felt that way. They're at the end of the line. Their future and their hope is gone. It's all over. This wasn't supposed to happen. I know some of you are there. I followed the Lord. I believed in him. I prayed. I did it God's way. And yet, yet I've had people in my family die. I've lost my house. I've lost my job. These things happen to me. Come on. That's where they are. That's where they are. Wow. So this devastation is launched in great loss, and then there is great sorrow. But you add insult to injury, it gets worse. It's also anchored in great opposition. What happens here? Look at, look at verse 6. And David was greatly distressed, for the people spoke of stoning him, because all the people were bitter in soul, each for his sons and daughters. What? You, 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 you take me out here. We trust you. We've given ourselves to you. You tell me that my sons and my daughters and all that we have, that they're safe? When we're at the end of the line, man, what difference does it make? We're going to kill you. We're going to kill you. David's men had turned on him in so many words. They said, we, we believed in you and followed you. And look where you led us. You, 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 you deserve to die. And I want to remind you, again, these were not model citizens. You deserve to die. Have you ever felt alone as if the weight of the world was on your shoulders? You ever felt like that? You ever, you ever, you ever just felt like, is anybody for me? Is anybody with me? Yeah, I, I, I don't, I'm not soliciting uh, sympathy, neither am I being cynical by what I'm getting ready to say here, but I need to say this. Leadership is a lonely thing. Sometimes as a leader, you know more stuff than you can, that, than, than it's prudent or wise to share. And people make conclusions about you and about what you've done or have not done. Again, this is no martyr speak here. I'm not, I'm not going there. 
I tell younger leaders all the time, you know, they get starry-eyed about leading and this kind of thing. I say, you sure you know what you're getting into? You sure you sure not that? Hey, man, it's more than some top box. It's more than some title. More than a few extra zeros. You know, you know what you're getting into? I, again, I don't say this cynically, but there's a cycle involved in leadership. Uh, it, it's true. First, they love you. Secondly, uh, you disappoint them and they get irritated with you. And then thirdly, they oppose you. However, if you stick around long enough, the cycle repeats itself. And so, <laughs> I mean, I'm not being cynical, but that's just it. I see some of you smiling because you know exactly that that's the truth. Well, I'm not talking about church. It's, it's out there in the, in the marketplace at the same time. So there's a certain toughness and aloneness that a leader has to embrace. But this is, this is way beyond that here. This is way beyond this. So what in the world does David do? What are you going to do? I, I got to tell you what I would do. Hey, man, my family's gone these are some bad dudes that I've recruited. They've turned on me. I'm waiting for an opportunity to clandestinely slip out and get a lot of kilometers or miles or whatever they had back then between me and them. And most of you would be thinking the same way. So we go from devastation, but something happens here in the text. We go from devastation to number two, determination. But what makes them determined? What happens? I'm going to say these next few things in an applicational way. Whenever you're, you're, you're discouraged, whenever you feel like you're by yourself, you, you, you can't quit, you can't give in, you can't give up. What are you going to do? You're in a situation the very first thing you do is that you strengthen yourself. Well, how do you do that? I, I want you to take a look at verse 6 here. Beginning at verse, and it's up verse 6, it says, And David was greatly distressed, for the people spoke of stoning him, because all the people were bitter in soul, each for his sons and daughters. But notice this, but David. But David. But David. But David. But David. And here, somewhere along the line, in the midst of all of this, I don't know when it happened, David makes a decision. But David, he's by himself. He's by himself. He's hurting his wives, his family, his stuff. It's gone. And they're going to kill him. But David, what did he do? But David strengthened himself and the Lord his God. I want you to notice the personal pronoun here. He didn't say, but David strengthened himself in the Lord God. No, David is strengthening himself in the Lord, his God. He understood at this very moment that God was personal to him. And that some way, somehow, he had got to get perspective. If he looked at what was happening to him, he's a dead man. 
Now, I, I have to say here, I don't agree with some of the messages I've heard on this text that ring the changes on this, on this line, that David strengthened himself in the Lord his God or encouraged himself in the Lord his God. They come across as if David was stoic. I don't think that that's the case here. I don't think this is to be read that way, that somehow or another David stoically said, wait a minute, I'm still in charge. I don't think that happened at all. The text lends itself to, to, to conclude that David was as, as much an emotional, sorrowful mess as his men were. And I actually believe that probably what happened is David gets off his animal. He realizes what's taking place. The city's burned up. Where are my, where are my kids? Where are, where's all this stuff? Everybody, what's going on? And David is sitting down, and maybe his head is in his hands, and the tears are coming down his face. He said, God, what are we going to do? David realizes that he can't allow himself to become depressed and hopeless. He can't allow himself to become defensive and react to his men's rebellious voices. He realizes that he has to connect with the Lord and find the strength to go on. What's the alternative? What's the alternative? And you see, and I'm going to say some things at the end of the message today, but listen to me, 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 listen to me. I think in the midst of his sobs, in the midst of his pain, in the midst of his anguish, all the stuff swirling around him, David had walked with God all those years. David had seen God work all those years. And maybe David, in the midst of his sobs and pain, somehow flashing across his mind was one of the psalms that he wrote. And maybe he began to think through God's faithfulness and maybe began to sing Psalm 3, verse 3. Thou, O Lord, art a shield about me. You're my glory and the lifter of my head. Maybe he remembered that. And that stuff kept flooding, came flooding into his heart, flooding into his mind. I, I can't tell you, I just know little teeny itchy bits about this. Nobody's ever come out to kill me or whatever that, that I know of. And, you know, there's a song that I've asked Karen to have, I, if I check out of here before she does, to have sung at my, my funeral, my memorial service. This song has been very dear to me. It's an old, old song sung in African-American churches. You sang it when I was a little boy. The song is, I don't feel no ways tired. I've come too far from where I started from. Nobody told me that the road would be easy. I don't believe you brought me this far to leave me. David strengthened himself in the Lord. Somebody needs to hear that today. You, you need to hear that. You need to hear that. See, I'm talking about grown folks' Christianity at this point. 
I'm talking about mature folks' Christianity at this point. I ain't talking about cultural Christianity. I'm talking about this pop stuff that we get, this little, little mouth, mouthwash Christianity that we have, just make our breath smell better, but we still languish and it wasn't all that funny. But um, <laughs> David tapped into what he knew. There are times and seasons in which there's no one around to encourage you. Sorry. In some way, some may even want your head on a silver platter. There are just times in your life where you call somebody, goes a voicemail. You're in the pickle. You text them, they don't respond. You send them an email, they can't answer. It's not around. You're in one of those situations where it's just you and God. What are you going to do? You don't have anybody to tap into. What are you going to do? And you know God orchestrates that. You know why he orchestrates that? He wants to prove to you that he's enough and that you have to stop using other people as, as replacements for him. And he will do that. He will do that in your journey. He will, he will cut people off from you. He'll put you in situations in which you're facing hell head on. And you don't have what you need, but he says, look, you need to turn to the Lord, your God, and make it, make it personal. The other thing I would say to you, too, when you're going through this stuff, don't be so quick to embrace someone else's outlook on your hard times. Sometimes I think now, this is counterintuitive, sometimes I think when we're discouraged, we listen to people too much. And uh, the book of Job should teach us some lessons along this line. Sometimes, you know, look, they're fallen people. They don't know everything. And by the way, let me just say this while I'm in it. For those of us who are trying to comfort somebody, going through a hard time, this kind of thing, be careful that you don't, you don't say more than you really know. You know, cut that nonsense out. You, you don't really know. You're not the fourth member of the Trinity, and you don't know, you don't know all the ins and outs of the situation. Have a little bit of humility. Uh, this might be different. And so you, you, you got to be careful here. I, in, in the words of D. Martin Lloyd-Jones, who famously said, we should speak to ourselves more than we listen to ourselves. And some of us need to hear that right now. Some of you, when the least little thing happens to you, you start calling up those old recordings in your mind. Ah, that's not, I've always had this happen to me before. This happened to me in my background. Why did this happen to me? You see, I'm not like this. You start listening to all those old recordings. You just need to tell yourself to shut up. And you need to talk to yourself more than you listen to yourself. You need to talk to yourself from this book and not from your background. Speak to yourself more than you listen to yourself. Focus on what God says and not on the voices of, uh, of others, including your own. So you strengthen yourself. Number two, what, what do you do? How do you get out of it? What, what feeds determination? Number one, you strengthen yourself. You know the word. You know what God has said. And God says, isolate you. I'm taking you away from people. I'm taking you away from human voices. And I want you to listen to me, Crawford. I want you to listen to me. I want you to believe this. You've preached this stuff. Now believe it. It's practice time. I want you to put this stuff into practice here. The next thing I want you to do is that I want you to look to God for direction. That's what David does. Look at verses 7 and 8. And David said to Abiathar, the, the priest, and the son of Elimelech, Ahimelech, I always screw this, Ahimelech, uh, bring me the ephod. So Abiathar brought the ephod to David, and David inquired of the Lord, shall I pursue after this band? Shall I overtake them? He answered him, pursue, for you shall surely overtake them 
Uh, you should surely overtake and surely rescue. Now, what's up with all this uh, ephod stuff? What is this all about? Well, the ephod was the upper garment worn during religious services, and the ephod contained the sacred stones used to discern the will of God. Go back to Exodus chapter 28, verse 30. And the point being this, the point being this, when we are discouraged, it is crucial that we seek the Lord for his guidance and direction. David did the right thing. Said, hold on, hold on, hold on. I'm not asking these dudes. I'm not asking anybody, hey, come here with the, with the epoch. I want to know what God wants. That's the very, that, after you strengthen yourself in the Lord, after, you, after you, you get your head right, you got to ask the question, God, what is it that you want me to do? And a little word here to you, let, let me, I, I tell you this from experience, the time to analyze and evaluate why you're discouraged is when you're not discouraged. Don't try to analyze why you're discouraged while you're discouraged. No, 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 you're in a ditch. Get out of the ditch first. And then you analyze how you got there. And, and, and David, David does not say, God, can you give me some insight as to why this happened? Maybe we should have built a better security system. What happened here? And this one, no, 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 no. Look, look, this is real time. Their family and kids, they're gone. They got to get them back. So David is asking the right question. God, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? And by the way, with direction comes his presence and resources. Do you hear what I just said? Anytime you ask God to show you what he wants you to do and he shows you, you can rest assured that he's giving you what you need to get one, done what he's told you to do. With the will of God comes his presence and comes his resources. And then you, what's part of this determination? Well, you strengthen yourself, you look to God for direction, and then thirdly, you, you do what God says. That's verses 9 through 15. You do it. You don't think about it. You don't, you know, bounce it off of others. You do it. Uh, for the sake of time, I'm not going to read all of this, but let me just summarize a little bit here. So David gathered 600 of his men. Now, I don't, I don't know how he got them out of the funk and talked them off the ledge and, uh, from killing him. Maybe he said, hey, look, let's try to go get them, and if we don't get them, maybe you can off me then. But I, that's not in the text. I don't know what he did. Uh, but for some reason, they, they followed him. They followed David, right? And so they, they go along, and then they, on their way, they find this Egyptian who had been a servant of one of the Amalekites. And uh, so they interrogate homeboy, and, um, and uh, he says, look, um, um, David said to him, you know, who do you belong? He tells him all this, and uh, then uh, he tells him how they make a, made a raid uh, against Ziglag, and he said, yeah, I know, you raided us. That's what this is all about. And so he spills the beans as to where these guys are. Verse 15 says, and David said to him, will you take me down to this band? And he said, swear to me by God that you will not kill me or deliver me into the hands of my master and I will take you down to this band. Um, just a couple of brief observations here. You know, resist doing, when you're discouraged, resist doing what you feel like doing. I know that sounds counterintuitive. 
but do everything God tells you to do. You see, obedience has a way of pulling us out of our emotional prison. Action, obedience has a way of pulling us out of our emotional prison. Discouragement makes us immobile. Obedience means movement. So one of the best therapies for anyone who is discouraged is is, is to point them to the Lord and ask God to show you what, to, what you need to do. Okay, figure out what are those steps. All right, let's start working on those things and doing them. Get over there and do it. Sitting around, how's that work for you? So David acts. David acts. Well, there's devastation. There's determination. But then finally, there's deliverance. Deliverance. Well, what takes place here? Um, I'm going to say some things here that, uh, you know, I don't think I'm bending the passage too much, but I just want to, as the narrative suggests, that there are some things that you have to do. Our deliverance is not automatic. You know, some of us are sitting on some rock waiting for God to come snatch us up and change our predicament when really he's told us what to do. He's told us what to do. Our deliverance, number one, is, uh, you know, is based upon the fact that we will fight for what is ours. Fight for what is yours. That's what David did, verse 17. And David struck them down from twilight until the evening of the next day. That was a, that was a heck of a fight. And not a man of them escaped except 400 young men who, who mounted camels and said, we're out of here. David recovered all that the Amalekites had taken, and David rescued his two wives. The point being is this. Look, uh, uh, some of us have allowed discouragement to strip us of energy and to knock the fight out of us. We've allowed that to take place. There are some things that are worth fighting for. Your joy. Your peace. Does God want you to live like that? Does God want you to stay there? Is that of the Lord? Does he want that for you? I love the movie John Q. <laughs> Denzel Washington plays a part of this guy uh, who's, uh, and his wife had this little boy that needs a heart transplant. Come to find out that uh, Denzel doesn't have enough insurance. And so he does what's ever necessary. You know, this is, this is sort of the spirit of this. Are, are we doing whatever's necessary to get out of our situation, to get out of our discouragement, to fight for what really belongs to us, to get back to where God wants us to be, to get in a position of wholeness and health? Is that our birthright, to stay stuck? Are you supposed to constantly be mourning? Is that where we need to be? You fight for what is yours, and secondly, you take back what is yours. You claim, and I suppose those two things together, but that's exactly what happened in verses 18 through 20. And they get all the spoil there, and verse 19 says, nothing was missing, whether small or great, sons or daughters, spoil or anything that hadn't been taken. David brought back all. In fact, he got a little tip here. David also captured all the flocks and herds, and the people drove the livestock before him and said, this is David's spoil. 
This is now David's boy. You see the, see the cycle? First they love you, then they, you know, <laughs> and now they love him again. <laughs> the cycle of leadership. This is David's spoil. What are you going to do to rescue and retrieve what God has given to you? And even you go home this afternoon, if you're struggling with depression, maybe or discouragement, maybe doubt, maybe you just need to sit with an open Bible and ask question, question, God, what do you want me to do to retrieve, to get back what you've given to me? And then finally, the final observation I'd make about this whole area of, you know, deliverance is that you got to be gracious and generous in victory. This is, a, this is one of the great, this is all kinds of wonderful statements about David's greatness, but this is, this is, this is precious to me. So, so these dudes, um, uh, a, a couple hundred of these dudes didn't have the strength to, to go on, on, on they, they'd been fighting in this kind of thing and emotionally wrung out. So they couldn't go with the rest to go and get their, what, what was taken from them. So David said, that's cool. You just stay here by the baggage and all this stuff and We'll go and we come back. Well, they, they come back and, uh, <laughs> you know, the people who stayed by the stuff, they were there and, uh, you know, and the guys that fought said, hey, look, man, look, man, they don't get anything. We're the ones that fought. That's why I love David. David said, no, that ain't happening. The truth of the matter is, We were mobile and flexible and agile because we didn't have to carry that baggage. These people watched the stuff. And thus he says down here in verse 23, you should not do so, my brothers, with what the Lord has given us. He has preserved us and given into our hand the band that came against us. Who would listen to you in this matter? For as his share is who goes down into the battle, so shall his share be who stays by the baggage they shall share alike the greatness of this man. Aside from the situation with Bathsheba, David never, ever used his position to make it all about him. His leadership was about others. So David teaches us that... uh, we shouldn't brag about our victories or own our blessings. When God brings you through, don't you go around bragging about what you did to get through your discouragement and depression. Don't, don't write the blog about your steps of, and, and not give God the glory. No, God brought you through that. God brought you through that. And you give him the glory, you give him the praise, and not only that, what God takes you through is to be a blessing to others. You give out to others what God has done, has done for you. God's favor and deliverance should produce humility and gratitude. And remember, the people who prayed for you and supported you during your dark times. Let me wrap this up by, by making about uh, three suggestions to us. Um, this has to do with preventive medicine. And I'm going to be straight up here with you guys. I, I want to, I want to, I want to, some, some of us get discouraged, and God's allowed us, allows us to get discouraged because we're not, we're not, we're not taking these steps ahead of time. 
I've discovered, and I wish somebody had taught me this years, and years, maybe they did share this with me, and I was too hard-headed or whatever to hear it. But listen to me, listen to me, listen to me. This is important. This is important. The way to get through discouragement is to have habit patterns that protect you before you have to walk through it. Did you hear what I said? Now, some of us are just too arrogant and too self-assured and too full of ourselves. I don't need that. I'm feeling good right now. I can handle it. Seriously? Okay, let's see. And I want to suggest these three things. Number one, this is preventive medicine. The first thing is consistently commune with God. Make consistent spiritual deposits. Some of us, excuse me, but some of us are just spiritually lazy and we lack discipline. We don't read our Bibles consistently. We're not praying consistently. We're not dealing with the sin in our lives and overcoming that consistently. And so, and so when you walk through the dark night, and it's coming, it's coming, Jack, it is coming. When you walk through your season of the dark night of the soul, you have nothing in you or little in you to sustain you. The reason why David could strengthen himself in the Lord is because there was something inside of him. And I want to encourage you, this reading the Bible and praying is not just some little burden. It is your life. Your life depends on this. And so develop good habits. Uh, you know, make spiritual deposits in a consistent way in your heart and life. The second thing I would say in a preventive way is to take care of yourself. I've had to learn this the hard way. I have lived my life bleeding over margins and all this stuff and paying for it later on. Let me tell you something. You, you, you got to take care of yourself. The emotional and the physical and the spiritual, no, they're not the same thing, but they're so close together that they catch each other's diseases. And you, you, you got to get in patterns where you're resting. Stop saying yes to everything where you have strength. Where you're, there's exercise and you're taking Sabbaths and there's breaks in your heart and mind. So, you're, you, you know, you're, you're emotionally and physically able to face some of the hard things that inevitably we all have to go through. And then fourthly, I would say this. Uh, thirdly, I would say this. Nurture deep, meaningful friendships. You will need them. You will need them. My dad taught me this, told me this many, many years ago. He said to me, boy, careful how you treat people. Careful how you treat people. Because life has a strange way of bringing those folks back around. And you'll, you, you'll never know who you might need. And I'll say a word to those of us who are opinionated have tendencies to draw lines in the sands with people, right? A little bit too quick to fall out with folks. You may be an injecting and bombing fluid in your own survival in the future. Watch your little opinions. Watch how quickly you walk away from a relationship. Be careful about that. You don't know who you're going to need later on. And I think for those of us who tend to be a little bit on the loner side, maybe we're introverts and this kind of thing, we need, to, we need to push ourselves to making sure that we're nurturing some very close relationships and friendships who will walk with us, support us, 
and pray for us when we have to go through our seasons. If you're here today and you're not a follower of Christ, the greatest friend you'll ever have is Jesus. I can let you down. Don't mean to, but I'm human. But he will never leave you or forsake you. And all you have to do is say, Lord Jesus, I turn from my sin, and I trust you as my Savior, and Lord, he'll come into your life and make his child. Let's stand together. There'll be Stephen ministers and some elders and staff members who are in this service will be up front here. And um, if you're going through a tough time, and we all get there, we all get there. If you're going through a tough time, any discouragement or the things that you just, you just want somebody to pray with you, uh, why don't you come and let us, let us pray with you, pray for you, to encourage your heart. Father, thank you for your mercy and your love and your grace. Thank you for how good you have been to us. Thank you for going before us, Lord. Thank you, oh God, for putting this, putting this narrative, this, this story in the Bible. Oh God. Lord, help us to strengthen ourselves in you. Help us to look to you, Father. Lord, uh, you are our hope. You're the only one that never fails. And so, Father, I pray that you'll pour encouragement into our hearts. Help us to keep moving, Father. With all the pain and all of the agony and all the hellacious things that so many of us have to face, you are still alive. And the tomb is empty. And all power is in your hand. Help us to tap into that. Dismiss us from this place, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.